The current self-empowered, humanist culture can't imagine God being in control. But that doesn't change the reality. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the sovereignty of God and shares biblical assurance that He truly does rule over all. If you sometimes struggle to allow God in the driver's seat, listen as David introduces today's message, God is in control. Today we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God and how wonderful that truth can be when everything seems to be unglued. God is not going to allow you to be caught up in the in the total uh, abandonment of reason that goes on in the world. If you will put your trust in him, he will direct you. Even as he directs the affairs of this earth, God is in control. We'll get to that message in just a moment. First, I want to tell you again that there's a wonderful book available to you. You know, we, uh, we know that the teaching of the Word of God on the radio is powerful. But then when you can get that teaching and it's in print, you have it uh, forever. I tell people all the time, one of the wonderful things about a book is that it doesn't go away. Unless it's thrown out, it stays alive. And uh, we get letters from people sometimes who have read books that we wrote years and years ago. They read a chapter in the book, and it changed their life because truth is eternal, and it's especially uh, hard to throw away when it's in a beautiful book. This book contains all the truth we're talking about during these days of the Encouraging Words series. And we'd love for you to have it. It's 208 pages. It's a beautiful hardcover gift book. Uh, It's beautifully designed, and the words inside will inspire you and encourage you for years to come. Ask for your copy of this book when you send your gift to Turning Point today. It's our way of saying thank you for your investment. Here's part one of God is in Control. Today, I want to talk with you about a sovereign God. That means there's no such thing as luck. Anything that happens to you, good or bad, must pass through his fingers first. There are no accidents with God. I like the story of the cowboy who applied for health insurance, and the agent routinely asked him, have you ever had any accidents? And the cowboy replied, well, no, I've not had any accidents. I was bitten by a rattlesnake once and a horse did kick me in the ribs and that laid me up for a while but no I haven't had any accidents the agent said wait a minute I'm confused a rattlesnake bit you a horse kicked you weren't those accidents he said no they did that on purpose (laughs) well I need to tell you sovereign is a word that means God does everything on purpose It is a word that inspires a lot of headlines these days. You know this word perhaps better than you think you do. You often spot it in the financial pages of the newspapers, say, about Saudi Arabia's sovereign funds, or about sovereign investors who gobble up prime equities in the stock market. Sometimes you'll read about Russia's sovereign credit rating or about Norway's sovereign wealth fund. With the surge in refugees around the world, debates are raging about the importance of sovereign borders. And of course, here in the United States, the matter of border security and sovereignty, one of our most vexing issues. 
How strange that a biblical word should show up in so many headlines. According to the Bible, there is only one who is truly sovereign, and that's Almighty God. But what does that mean? The English word sovereign means having unlimited power or authority. It comes from the prefix sov, which means over, and it's coupled with the word reign. So when it comes to sovereign, the word means to have total control, total sovereignty. When it comes to finances and politics, the term has to do with the nation's right of self-determination, of answering to no higher authority than themselves, of being independent in their power. It's a big deal in many cultures today. But to say God is sovereign is to simply declare that he is God, elevated above the highest authority in all the universe and possessing not only infinite power, but infinite right, infinite rule, and infinite reign. He is the most high, doing what he wills with the purposes of life. He is in charge. He is the head of the armies of heaven so that no one can stay his hand or say to him, why are you doing what you are doing? To say God is sovereign is to say that he's the governor over all the nations and the commander of all history. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And thinking of God as our sovereign king and lord answers one of the biggest questions in the human heart. And here it is. Who's in charge? That's what Winston Churchill wanted to know throughout the turbulence of the 1930s. Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin seemed unable to face the challenges of leading England And Churchill went around fuming about Baldwin's inadequacy and quoting a little poem that said, Who's in charge of the clattering train? That's a question that is frequently asked today. Is there anybody in charge? That question determines what goes on in our homes. It has a great deal to do with what goes on in our schools and what goes on in our culture. Who's in control here? Sometimes you hear this question in the marketplace, in the workplace, and on a larger scale in our cities and in the life of our nation. Who's in charge? If we're honest, this question haunts us on a global level. I mean, not a day passes without our wanting to stand up and shout, who's in control of this clattering train? How we answer that question determines to a great deal how our lives and our future plays out. So when I say God is sovereign, I mean he's in charge of everything. He's infinitely elevated above the highest creature. He's the most high God, the Lord of heaven and earth, subject to no one, influenced by no one, independent and free in his own being. He does as he pleases, not only as he pleases, always as he pleases, everywhere as he pleases, and forever as he pleases. No one and nothing can hinder him, compel him, thwart him, or stop him. But I must tell you that while this is a wonderful truth to ponder and celebrate, there is no aspect of the attributes of God that causes more anger and stirs more debate than the teaching of the sovereignty of God. You can take a knife and cut it right down through evangelicalism, and there's a different opinion on the sovereignty of God on both sides of the mark that you make. 
That's why we need a strong biblical understanding of this subject. Working on this chapter, I jotted down nearly 50 key passages on the sovereignty of God, and I didn't even scratch the surface. I'll just give you four of them, and you'll see what I'm talking about. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim. Let the earth be moved. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. I like that one. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. All of these verses and so many others convey the same thing, that God is in charge. He is on his throne and he always will be on his throne. He rules and he reigns in the affairs of men worldwide from history to prophecy, from sea to sea, from time to eternity. In my library, I have a set of books that contain every single sermon Charles Haddon Spurgeon ever preached. It is one of the largest collections of writings from a single person in the history of literature. Spurgeon, who didn't live past 60, preached in London in the 1800s, and he was unbelievably prolific. He was sublimely eloquent. One of the volumes that I have in my set includes an index of all the subjects he covered in the message that he preached. I looked under the subject of sovereignty, and I shook my head in amazement. He must have preached on the sovereignty of God every other Sunday. He was enamored with this truth, and he constantly proclaimed that Almighty God oversees our daily lives and our present world and all the tides and trends of history. Maybe that's why so many people want to hear him. Because when they went to church on Sunday wondering who was in charge, they came away with this absolute confidence that we serve a God who rules over all and we can rest tonight because God isn't going to take the night off. He's in charge. There is no attribute, said Spurgeon, more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, that sovereignty will sanctify them. It is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon his throne in whom we trust. That's just a little excerpt from one of his sermons on sovereignty. I don't know that there's any truth in all the world that should comfort us more in this day in which we live than this, that God is in control. And someone says, well, why don't we talk about that anymore in our churches? Well, first of all, we don't even talk about the Bible anymore in a lot of our churches. But this is a biblical truth, and it's at odds with what's going on in our world today. It's because this is the day of humanism. This is the era when people want autonomy and independence and the absolute right to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, whatever feels good. We attend seminars that tell us whatever we can conceive, we can believe, and whatever we can believe, we can achieve and receive. If we just give humanity a little bit more time, we're told, all of the ills and problems and difficulties of life will be resolved because man has become his own God. 
But permit me to ask a question this morning. How are you doing, sovereign man? Hmm. Is the world thriving with peace and prosperity under your so-called human sovereignty? Or is it descending into disorder and instability and chaos? Is the world cleaner or more polluted? Is it more peaceful or more threatened? Is it more orderly or more violent? Is it more prosperous or teetering on the verge of bankruptcy? You would think after all the pain we have felt as a nation, after all the hurt and anguish we have felt as a world, after all the problems we have experienced, that somebody might just ask, is it possible we're going the wrong way? We started down this path as early as the book of Genesis. When Nimrod got the people together and said, in effect, we don't need God coming down to talk to us. We'll just build our own tower up to God. We'll do our own thing. And they brought everyone together and launched their project and went to work and something odd happened. Suddenly one day they went to work and no one could understand anybody else because God reached down and confounded their language. God was in control. If we keep reading in Genesis, we come to the story of Joseph. As a teenager, he was abused by his brothers who threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. They did everything they could to erase his memory. Years passed, and one day in the sovereignty of God, they faced a severe famine in their land. They journeyed down to Egypt to get their food, and guess who was handing out the food? It was Joseph who somehow had become prime minister of the greatest empire on earth in those days. But it wasn't somehow, it was sovereignty. Those poor boys thought they had been had. Here they were coming to get food and running into the brother that they had betrayed and now thought was dead. Joseph looked him in the eye and gave this little speech. You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive, now therefore do not be afraid. Joseph said, you tried to hurt me. You tried to destroy me. You tried to kill me. But God was in charge, and God oversaw all of this, and he brought me to this place not only to be the savior of all of you, but to be the savior of all of Egypt because Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt and doled out the food during the years of famine. Turn over to the book of Exodus and listen while Pharaoh commands all the Hebrew male children to be drowned in the Nile River to reduce the population of the Jews. But the Lord said, as it were, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll use the Nile River to preserve a baby who will become the liberator of my people. And there in a pitched basket on the Nile River, while Pharaoh intended to kill these precious babies, God hid a baby who would be named Moses, almost as if he were playing a joke on Pharaoh. Many years later, God said, let my people go, to which Pharaoh arrogantly responded, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And that earned him 10 plagues and the death of the firstborn in every one of his families. 
followed by a rout at the Red Sea. Somehow the stormy Red Sea, which Pharaoh thought had trapped his enemies, became the avenue of their deliverance and the watery tomb of Pharaoh's army. But it wasn't somehow, it was sovereignty. God was in charge. Isn't it incredible to read the history of God's sovereignty in the affairs of men? Haman had it in his heart to destroy the Jews and to obliterate the influence of God. He built gallows on which he intended to hang Mordecai. But somehow the tables were turned and Haman was impelled on the gallows he had built for Mordecai. But it wasn't somehow. It was sovereignty. The God of heaven was showing us who's in control. Looking at it from the perspective of history, not just in biblical days, but throughout all the history of the world, wherever humankind has tried his best to prove he's in control, he has been frustrated and thwarted. Again and again, Almighty God has said, I am the Lord, I rule in the heavens and in the earth and in the hearts of men. He is the sovereign God. And when I see what's happening across this country, I have to turn off the television, lay aside the newspaper, open my Bible, bow my head and say, I know the one who's in charge. The biblical teaching of God's sovereignty stirs me when I think about it. And when I look at the fact that there aren't any answers anyplace else, this is in the lap of the Almighty. And I come away with three affirmations, which I want to leave with you in your heart today. If this is true, if what I'm saying is true, what should my response be to the fact that Almighty God is in charge? That when you look into the heavens, the throne is occupied. That God doesn't go on vacations. He never sleeps. He never takes his hand off the control level. How should I respond to that? Well, first of all, I've written down, because he is sovereign, I will reverence him. The first affirmation about God's sovereignty is this, because he is sovereign, I will give him reverence. I've had the opportunity of sharing the word of God in the presence of some national leaders over the years that I've been in the ministry. That's a very scary thing when you're asked to speak in front of a national leader. But I want you to suppose with me and take all of the nuance out of what's going on in our world today. This is kind of not normal what's happening right now, but just kind of get back to the normal and think with me through this illustration. Suppose I were preaching and a colleague came to the platform and handed me a note. And it said, the President of the United States has just arrived unexpectedly and he wants to attend your service today. Now some of you will think that would be good for him. Now this, I'm going to try to hold this together now. Just, I want you to hear my story and don't get lost in the nuance of all this, all right? <laughs> if he said that, do you know what I would do? I would take a little break from my sermon and I would say to the crowd, let's all welcome the President of the United States. And regardless of who the President happened to be at that moment, and regardless of whether we agreed or disagreed with his or her policies, if we are the right kind of people, we would stand and applaud. Why? Because we respect the office of the president of our nation. And the Bible tells us to honor the king. So, if we can summon the courtesy to respect the human position, 
no matter who the leader might be, what should be our attitude about confessing Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings? The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the concept of fearing the Lord troubles some people, but we're not talking about a debilitating kind of fear. We're talking about a worshipful reverence for God. Christians were once described as God-fearing people. Do you remember those days? Nobody even knows what that means anymore. We seldom hear that phrase, and perhaps it's because we've lost the concept of the fear of the Lord. God wants us to reverence him, to bow before him, to fear him with healthy, godly awe, for God is sovereign, and he is worthy of our reverence and our respect. We have tried in our culture to bring God down to where we are because we feel so distant from him. But I say to you, leave God where he is and get on your knees and reverence him. He is worthy of your respect. And because God is sovereign, my second affirmation is, I will respond to him in obedience. A few pages back in this little sermon that I'm giving you, when the Lord told the Israelites to go, this man, this most powerful, feared man of his day, Pharaoh said, listen, do you remember this? He said, no. But do you know why he disobeyed? Here's what it says. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord nor will I let Israel go. And if I were Moses, I would have said, son, you're about ready to meet him. (laughs) Because Pharaoh didn't understand or respect Jehovah, he felt free to disobey. When people disregard God's sovereignty, they disobey him. But let's reverse the equation. If irreverence produces disobedience, then surely reverence should promote obedience. As I open my Bible, this is the word of a sovereign God. I can't any longer read the Bible just as a student. I have to read it now as a servant. I'm not just trying to learn what the Bible says. I'm trying to find out what God, the sovereign of the universe, is telling me to do, and I have to respond with a yes, Lord. It's interesting how you read the Bible. If you're just reading the Bible for more information, it won't change your life at all. But if you read the Bible as a servant and you say, Lord, what do you have for me today that you need to communicate to my life? Everything changes. It's all about your mindset. When we grasp the sovereign authority of God in and over everything, from the broadest galaxy to the smallest grain of sand, we gladly submit to his will for our lives. He's the captain. He's in control. His eye scans the maps and he knows what's best for us. We may not always like the weather or the scenery or the route, but those issues pale in the brilliance of his sovereign face. Amen. Boy, doesn't that encourage your heart? Doesn't that just make you realize, yeah, there's a lot of things that can make you fear and make you wonder. And then you get back to the truth that The real carnal core of all of this is the almighty God who sits on the throne in heaven, and he is in control, and you can trust him, and he will care for you as he has, and he will care for me as well. 
What a wonderful truth. More of this tomorrow from uh, this series, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. By the way, you can get a study guide for this series and use it for your small group. Uh, I love to tell you about that because small groups need biblical material. Uh, This is not about how you feel or what's going on in your life at work. Uh, All of that may be important. But the most important thing is you're getting some truth from God's Word that will help you face the issues of your life. You can count on it when you get the study guides from Turning Point. They're based strictly on the Word of God. And if you study them the way that to be studied in your small group, you will be studying the Word of God with your friends. It's it's very uh, user-friendly, but it's truth from God. So why don't you get a study guide for everybody in your small group. You get the book, and you'll be ready to conduct a wonderful study on encouraging words for discouraging times. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Encouraging Words for a Discouraging World. Ten Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of attractive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue encouraging words for discouraging times on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional, and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. In a world that often feels overwhelming and discouraging, discover encouraging words for a discouraging world. Ten Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos, a new book by Dr. David Jeremiah. You'll discover how to face your circumstances with unwavering confidence and hope. Yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $70 or more, Dr. Jeremiah will send you his comprehensive Encouraging Word set. Request these resources at davidjeremiah.ca. I read this observation about young people starting out in business. If at first you do succeed, it's probably your father's business. The family business might be safe, but it also might lack one of the advantages of starting out like most young people do, and that is the opportunity to fail and try again. Pastor Erwin Lutzer once wrote a book with a great message just in the title. He called it Failure, 
the back door to success. The Bible, as well as life, is filled with examples of people God used even after they failed. That's often where we find life's best lessons. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God uses failure on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.